Hello, I'm still Reese Wallace. And I'm still Luke Clancy. And this is the Cedar Log. Hello, welcome, welcome, welcome. I just want to say and give a little reminder that all the information we've talked about today is from independent research. And it's from a book called A Whaleboat on the United by our own advisor, Michael G. Comfort. And now let's get into today's topic. In 1923, a nature lodge was added and was held the Camp Museum, per se. This museum had hundreds of arrowheads, spear points, stone axes, pottery shards, stuffed animals, they were taxidermied, minerals, and wood samples. All of these were from the Delmont area, supposedly. We're not 100% sure or not. But interestingly enough, all these items were said to be collected by the scouts and the boys themselves. As well as a handicraft lodge and new boats were also added during this time. In the 1920s or so, the camp program was based on scouts staying for two weeks. Interestingly, those who came for the first or last week of camp were charged less as they likely were put work for setting up or tearing down the camp. So those $7 came cheaper if you came to the first week or the last week of camp. Exactly. And y'all remember those Camp Letter CD? Well, one year, the scouts earned 212 of them, and they had to complete tests in scout craft and camp craft to get them. Those who passed got a blue D and a yellow C. In 1930, this changed to one solid yellow piece. And again, many of these don't haven't survived till today because they wore them on swim trunks, on sweatshirts and shirts and whatnot. So they got beat, beat up pretty uh, quickly. In 1924 was the first year that Delmont was used every weekend of the year, even on Easter and Christmas. Scouts were only charged for the coal they used during their weekend stay. And in that same year also brought the... Uh, when the camp bought an auto to pick up the scouts from the Green Lane uh, Railroad Station. And I guess they got tired of walking, so they must have complained and convinced them to the camp to pick them up. And 19... Oh, so... so Before I kind of get into the next part, I just want to kind of explain that scouting has typically followed the norms of society for the time period it found itself. I am not excusing any behavior. I am not condoning any behavior. We are not excusing and we are not condoning. It's just, from my personal perspective, it is never good to ignore history or brush over things that need to be talked about. So this next segment involves segregation. I'm just going to be very open and just bluntly honest about it because I think this should be talked about because... I think that's the most respectful thing to do is to actually talk about it. So in 1925, saw the addition of a quote unquote colored camp to Delmont where African-American scouts could come to camp. Again, the BSA itself never drew a line at race, but people rather followed their own local social norms, even as scouts. So unfortunately in areas this included segregation. And also, African-American scouts have been a part of scouting in America since the very beginning. There are lots of examples of prominent African-American scouts from 
literally like our founding. So I just want to like make that very clear. And even back in 1913 at uh, Camp Delmont on Whites Island, the scouts actually raised money to bring African American scouts to the camp. So it seemed like it was possible that the climate for us in our local area was a little bit better, but obviously it wasn't perfect. In 1925, saw 124 African-American boys and 11 leaders attend camp at Delmont. But this segregation would quickly end as white scouts who had African-American scouts in their troops refused to be separated from their friends and troop mates while camping. Thus, in 1929, the last two weeks of camp were reserved for troops with white and African-American members, and this will continue until 1942. It then appears that, the, that the segregation fully ended, and please remember that in some parts of our country, it was unfortunately the literal law for camps to be segregated to the late not like 50s and even to the early 60s. So for us to have it fully ended in 19... Uh, like the 1940s and for us to have um, what appears to be a, a better racial climate and more of that good old scouting brotherhood is really significant. But again, not saying it was perfect or condoning behavior. This should have never have happened, but unfortunately it's kind of the history we have to live with and um, get to terms with uh, as Americans. So that's that. Moving on into other Delmont history. So in 1926, uh, there was a kind of big year for Delmont because 10 cabins were added due to growing attendance. And the camp newspaper, the Delmont Cedar Log, the namesake of this podcast, was started. They even had a camp print shop and around 400 copies of the Delmont Cedar Log were printed per week. Scout supplies were also uh, first sold at camp this year. 1926 was also the addition of archery, a stockade campfire area, and Delmont got a perfect rating from the national office. Even sea scouting was taught at Delmont starting in 1927, which the camp used an old whaling boat called the SSS Delmont to teach the scouts. Which, Reese, did you know this is, was actually the inspiration for the title of A Whaleboat on the Unami? I actually forgot that tidbit, but that makes sense now because Mike put that photo as the cover. I think it's like the scouts and the, the big old boat. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this year also added a bank run by the quartermaster department and the installation of a local phone. I can't imagine having our QM run a bank today. <laughs> but more importantly, in 1927, Harvey Long was made a permanent rather than a seasonal employee of the council. He was paid 100 bucks a month or roughly $1,473 today. And he held this job till the 1940s. In 1928, the council... Uh, Lodge and health center were built completely out of cedar logs. A first aid shack was also built this year to instruct scouts in said skill. It was named after a scoutmaster uh, named William C. Seville, who was killed in France during World War I. It was dedicated on July 22nd of that year 
and was torn down in 1969. Fun, fun thing, July 22nd, that's my birthday, so I feel some connection with this guy. And then this cabin also became the totem of Delmont Lodge when it was founded in 1929. So his memory lives, has lived on for quite some time because of that. And this same year also saw accommodations for other minority scouts uh, at camp with Jewish scouts being uh, enabled to eat kosher at what was known as the Belfield Mansion. This old house stood on the exact same spot as the current Schweiker Lodge. Plus, a separate camp for Roman Catholic scouts was mentioned in records found by our advisor, uh, Michael G. Comfort, but no other details are available. 1929 saw the beginnings of Pioneer Camp, a kind of a more rustic camp program. The idea was to focus on things such as scout craft, cooking, forestry, and other wilderness skills. It was briefly renamed Frontier Camp to only be renamed Pioneer Camp in 1936. To attend uh, Pioneer Camp uh, at Delmont, a scout had to be first class and at least a second year camper. So scouts cooked their own food, and less than 20 scouts were allowed to attend Pioneer Camp at a time. They had built their own shelters as they cooked their own food and worked on various uh, wilderness-themed merit badges, such as camping and hiking. Hey, Reese, I just wanted to cut you off right there before this podcast episode runs too long. But I just wanted to thank everyone for tuning into this week's episode. If there is anything that anyone like to add to the podcast or anything that we may have gotten wrong or you'd like to fix something, please feel free to contact us at history at org. And hope everyone has a great day. Stay safe and stay healthy. Hey.